Well, good morning. My name is Brian Wright, and I am the District Superintendent for the Northern Plains District, as Andy said, and I am so excited to be here with you and have a chance to share with you this morning. The Northern Plains District is a family of churches, 37 congregations across North Dakota, some in South Dakota, a couple in Montana, a few in Minnesota, and I get the privilege of serving all of those churches. And I thought before I begin my message today, I would just share with you a little bit of news from across the district. It's kind of your extended church family. Share with you just some of the things that are happening uh, around our district. We talk about the work of the Northern Plains District, I talk about three things. I talk about having healthy churches, I talk about building partnerships, I talk about advancing multiplication. And all those things are happening across our district. Having healthy churches, I think all of us would agree a big part of having healthy churches is being able to have a, a good pastor for that church. And that's one of the big challenges that exists uh, uh, for us today in, uh, in ministry and for churches. It's taken a long time to find pastors. I've been working with churches to do that and also going out and encouraging people to consider going into full-time Christian ministry. There are fewer who are doing that. And so that means going and talking to students at our, our youth districts conference, talking to the staff up at our Bible camp, at, at Cooperstown Bible Camp, coming and when I talk to churches, encouraging people, say, maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe at one time you have felt a tug on your heart or God may be prompting you to go into to ministry, but maybe it wasn't the right time, it wasn't the right moment, but maybe now things have changed in a different place in life and different circumstance, and now maybe, now maybe is the time to answer that call. If that would apply to any of you, I would love to have a chance to talk to you about that and about the opportunities that are there to serve in Christian ministry and how we can help get you there. We talk about our partnerships. We do that in lots of different ways. There are formal ways, informal ways we build partnerships. One of the formal ways is through our conferences. We just wrapped up a conference uh, this last week up at Cooperstown Bible Camp, a, a conference on the issue of gender confusion in the church with about 40 leaders from across our district there to hear about that topic and, and a great time together. We have our annual district conference coming up at the end of February, and that'll be up the, just up the road in Grand Forks. We'd love to have you there. That's open not just to pastors, that's open to anybody who would like to come. Uh, Greg Scharf is going to be our speaker. He used to be a pastor here in Fargo over at Salem and uh, before he went to teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's going to be our speaker talking about uh, called to serve together, how leadership works in the local church. And we would love to have you come and be a part of that. And then we talk about multiplication. Uh, we have two church plants going on in the district, one in Castleton. It's uh, just over two years into the church planting there. They're moving towards uh, full-fledged church status within our district and a brand new one that got started this year out in Hazen. We have multiplication going on through multiple campuses like Kindred. It's great to hear that announcement today about calling a campus pastor there. Those are all wonderful and exciting things. You are also part of uh, something else exciting in the area of multiplication without probably even knowing it. Uh, this uh, summer, out at our national conference, we held a golf tournament to raise money for church planting, and each district fielded a golf team. And two of the main players on our golf team were Andy and Lori Veith. Uh, they came and played on our NPD golf team. And it's a good thing they were there because they can play golf and I can't. Uh, it was as well demonstrated the couple times they let me hit a ball in that tournament. But the funds that were raised from that tournament were then one district was selected to receive the funds from that uh, tournament to give towards church planting. Um, and the district that was chosen was Northern Plains District. Uh, just this last week I received those funds. We received $30,000 for those to invest in church planting in our district and we're excited to see what God is going to do with that in our district. Yeah, that's a great praise. So we're excited to see what God's gonna do. How can you be involved with us? A couple of ways. First, pray for us. Uh, we have four members of our district staff, myself, Steve Ostwald, 
is our missions mobilizer. He works in the area of helping uh, churches think about missions and also works with our reconciliation team. Mike Lundberg is our church multiplication director. Uh, he's a pastor up in rugby and he helps with our church planting and multiplication. Uh, Brandon Boulay is our student ministries director. He's a youth pastor at Mayville and he works with our student ministries teams, helps put on the youth districts conference and all of those things. So pray for them and pray for the work that's going on across our district. Uh, keep praying uh, for the churches that are looking for pastors as well. Another way that you can be involved, just stay connected with us. We have a website, npdefca.com, lots of information there. You can sign up there for a monthly newsletter that comes out. You can follow us on Facebook, you can follow us on Instagram, just to hear things about that are happening in the district. Stay connected with what's going on. Come to one of our conferences. Come get to meet your extended family. Come be a part of what they're doing. And then you can, uh, and then you can be involved by your giving. And I just want to say thank you to Bethel for your faithful financial support of the Northern Plains District. Uh, we really appreciate all that our churches give to make this work possible. If you're an individual donor here this morning, I want to say a special thank you to you as well. It's those individual donors that help us make up that difference between what we get from the churches that give to support us and the, the need that we have to carry on our ministry. So thank you very much if you are part of that group. So now with that, I'm going to turn to uh, on the message for this morning. We're going to continue it in this series on disciples. It's really a, a kind of a privilege to get invited to come in and be part of a series with the church. That's something that I don't often get a chance to do. But we're going to be speaking into this series, and we're talking about marks of a discipled person. And the mark that we're going to be looking at today is that a discipled person invests in others. That's what we're going to be looking at and, and focusing on. As we think about that, I want to challenge you to think about this morning. Think about who was the most influential teacher, the most influential teachers that you had when you were growing up. As I thought about that question, I thought about three names that came to mind. One was Mr. Leno. Mr. Leno was my sixth grade teacher. It, um, he came, uh, I came to Mr. Leno's class. My parents had just divorced. We had just moved back to Valley City. I was coming into a group, class of sixth graders that had all been together in that school almost, you know, since kindergarten on. And now I was coming in as the outsider. He made me feel so at home, so comfortable in that class. Had a great year sitting there. Also helped me to get connected with one of my favorite book series at the time, Alfred Hitchcock and the Three Investigators. Uh, awesome book series. Loved reading those at the time. But that was Mr. Leno. Then I think about an, another year future, Mr. Schmeckpepper. Who wouldn't remember that name, right? Mr. Schmeckberg, who was my uh, shop teacher. I loved going to shop class and, and learning all the things they had to teach us. To this day, I still have a garage full of saws and drills and tools and stuff because of the love he gave me for woodworking and doing those things. I'm not great at it, but I love doing it, and it's so much fun, and it came from him. That was part of the experience that I had from him. And then um, Mr. Bacon and Mrs. Schlobaum. Uh, Mr. Bacon was my choir director when I was in uh, junior and senior in high school. Again, between my sophomore and junior years, I moved, and I was in, sitting in the high school office in Columbus, Nebraska, and signing up for classes, because of course I'd missed registration, and, and he said, what classes should I take? And I needed another class to fill out, and he said, you should take choir. I said, oh, okay, really? I've never been in choir before. So that's okay. At our school, yeah, the girls, they have to audition, but guys will take anyone. And that's how I got into choir, because there's no other way I would have made it. Um, and so we, I started with, with the choir and singing, and Ms. Schlobaum was our theater teacher. And through that, I got to a lot of exposure to theater and to musicals and those kinds of things. Already had an interest, already liked those things, really developed a love for it. That led me to later actually do some directing 
uh, ran a, a theater program at the junior high in, in, in Owatonna when I was there. And then uh, that led to my kids having a great love for theater. My son now is uh, an English and theater teacher at Shakopee High School down in the cities. My daughter-in-law, Siri, is uh, an actress and model and choreographer in the Twin Cities area. She is currently rehearsing for a production of A Christmas Carol at the Guthrie uh, in Minneapolis for this uh, season. And they have that great passion. My daughter, uh, Grace, my youngest daughter, just finished uh, working a summer at the Santa Fe Opera before coming back. And now she works at the Great River uh, Educational Arts Theater or the Great Theater in St. Cloud as a uh, stage manager and production assistant. Think of the impact those teachers had on my life and my family's life and the direction and course that they all had. And if we think about that, we can all... Uh, recognize there are people in our lives that we are where we are today because of what they invested in us, because of what they gave to us, because of the direction that they offered. Those are teachers, family members. They're so huge in the impact and what they have invested in us. We can think about others in other fields as well and what they have invested in us. And in the spiritual realm, that is also so true. Here is the reality. Every one of you is here today because somebody somewhere took the time to invest in you. Someone somewhere took the time to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. Somebody made that investment to tell you about the fact that there was a Savior who died on a cross in your place and that by placing a faith and trust in him, you could be forgiven of your sin and have everlasting life. Somebody took the time to invite you to come to a church service, maybe this church service. Maybe you're the, this is the first time you've ever been at Bethel. Somebody took the time to invite you to come and to be here today. We are all here in this place, in this moment, because somebody else took the time to invest in us. And now we are commissioned to invest in others. That's the passage that we are looking at today. It comes from Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's a familiar passage. I'm going to read it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in that passage we read there is one command that is given in that passage to all of us. There's one command that is for all of the followers of Jesus Christ out of that passage. And that command is what? What's the command? Okay, make disciples is the command. I know we like that go word because it's the first word. But that's not actually the command. That actually modifies the command. The command is make disciples. D.A. Carson has said this, says the call to make disciples is binding on all Jesus' followers to make others what they themselves are, disciples of Christ. That's kind of the one thing. If you want to hang on to that, that's the, the one thing to hang on to. The, he, the call to make disciples is binding on all of Jesus' followers to make others what they themselves are, disciples of Christ. That is binding upon all of us to make disciples disciples. That's the biblical pattern. We see that repeated over and over again. This is what Jesus did. He came and he gathered 12 around him who he invested in and who he taught and whom he trained. Yes, he preached to thousands and he healed people and he brought the dead back to life and he did all those things. But one of the, the primary things he was there to accomplish was to train and equip a group who would carry on that ministry, who would carry on the, and spread that good news all over the world. He invested in those 12, and particularly even in a small group in three, in Peter and James and John. That was his pattern. We see a man named Barnabas investing in another man named Paul. This was Saul, who was a persecutor of the church 
who saw a, a, a vision of Christ on the road to Damascus and turned his life over to Jesus Christ and then went to, to learn and to study and to grow. Eventually, Barnabas went and got him, and it was Barnabas that brings him to Jerusalem, and it's Barnabas that introduces him to the other apostles. It's Barnabas that takes him to Antioch, to the church there. It is Barnabas who goes out on these mission trips with him and begins to found churches all over the world. So he takes Paul and then later John Mark, and he invests in them. Paul would go on to invest in Timothy and Titus and others young pastors who would carry on the work in all of these places that he had founded. Timothy invests in Epaphras. We see um, Priscilla and Aquila investing in a young man named Apollos who went on to become a great teacher and leader in the New Testament. We see this over and over again where people invest in others. They are making disciples who can make disciples. They are fulfilling that commission that we were given. One of the great examples of this in, in more modern days is a story that begins with a Sunday school teacher named Ed Kimball. Some of you maybe know the story, but Ed Kimball was a Sunday school teacher, and in his Sunday school class, there was a young man named Dwight. Dwight was going to make his place in the world. He was going to become a wealthy businessman in the shoe business. He was going to run shoe stores, and that's what he was going to do. He was going to be a shoe salesman, and he was going to make his mark in the world as a shoe salesman. And he was in Ed Kimball's Sunday school class, and one night Ed was, being, was very concerned about Dwight, because Dwight was not a great student in his class, and so finally he went to the shoe store where Dwight worked, and he found him in the back room in the storage area, and he walked up to him and he said, Dwight, I'm going to be honest with you, I know you have not thought much of being in my Sunday school class, and to be honest, I haven't thought much of having you in my Sunday school class, but I need to know, Dwight, I need to know tonight, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior? That question kind of took Dwight back and for a moment he paused and he thought about it and then he gave one of the most famous answers to that question ever and he said, yes, Ed, yes, I do believe in Jesus Christ and what more, from now on, I'm going to start living like it. That Dwight, we know is D.L. Moody. Went on to become one of the great evangelists uh, in the history of the church. Founded Moody Church in Chicago. Founded the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Founded many other ministries. Was this great evangelist and went on to touch many, many other lives. One of the lives he touched was a man named J. Wilbur Chapman who also was involved in ministry and also went out and preaching the gospel and teaching the, the good news to people. And through the ministry of J. Wilbur Chapman, he reached a, a, another young man named Billy Sunday. Is that a name some of you know? Uh, he reached him and was also a very famous evangelist uh, in the, the Christian church. And Billy Sunday went on to do his ministry, and he came to a town in, in the Carolinas and, and put on one of his evangelistic outreaches. And in the audience, there was a man named Mordecai Ham, who, because of what he saw Billy Sunday do, was inspired to go on and do similar things and hold other events and, the, and to bring other speakers in. And, the, and in one of those events, where Mordecai Ham was leading one of those events, there was a young man in the audience who came and gave his life to Jesus Christ, and that man's name was Billy Graham. And then there was a moment when Billy Graham was at a school in Illinois, at a college in Illinois, teaching, um, uh, doing a session there, and there was a young man who came into that session who had just gotten out of the military from World War II and was trying to figure out where God was leading him and what he was supposed to be doing with his life. And at that meeting with Billy Graham, he decided to give his life to full-time Christian ministry, and his name was James E. Wright, who would be my stepfather. Because Ed Kimball invested in a man in his son, a little student in his Sunday school class. Think of all of the people that were touched 
and all the lives that were changed. We are called to invest in others. We are called to make disciples. That is the commission. The call to make disciples is binding on all of Jesus' followers to make others what they themselves are, disciples of Christ. Who was it in your life? Who was it that invested in you? Who invested in them? And who was the one who invested in them? And you think about all of the people who have engaged and followed that commission faithfully for you to be here and for you to have the opportunity to now do that for others. A discipled person invests in others. So how do we do that? How do we invest in others? Well, this passage really begins just before we get to this commission. Jesus begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we first begin with this idea that this idea of investing in others and making disciples is not on my strength or on my power, it's on his. I am not the one who saves anybody, he is. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who grants forgiveness. It is by his spirit that people are saved. I get to point the way. I get to be a witness. I get to show people how they can place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's his power and by the power of his spirit, he's the one who saves and he's the one who gives me the power to do the work. So it really begins with him. And then he calls us to do three things. I said that go word is a modifier. There are actually three words that modify that idea of making disciples in this passage, in this command. So the command is make disciples. And the three words that describe how we do it, one is go, the other is baptize, and the other is teach. Those are the three words that are in this commission that we want to look at that give us a direction on how we can invest in others, how we make disciples. The go literally is the word, literally could be described as as you are going. As you are going through life, you're going to be meeting people and you want to draw them to Jesus. We want to win them to become followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. As we are going, we want to win them. And then we have uh, this baptizing. We've got people who are going to get baptized today and that's a wonderful thing. Baptism is to stand up and identify with Christ. It's a declaration to the world of whose team you're on. Uh, I love the, the shirts there, I have decided. And that's what baptism is. But that baptism isn't the end, it's the beginning. We continue to grow into Christ, continue to identify with him, continue to learn more about what it is to follow him. So really this baptizing here isn't just a one-time thing that you're called to do, but we are called to continue to build people up so that they would know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So when we look at that word baptize, we want to think about building up believers and investing in them in that way and building them up. And then we have teaching, which is really to equip them with the skills that they need to do the work that they are called to, to do this work of making disciples that we are all called to do. What are the skills that we need? And we want to equip them to do those things. We want to think about how we can invest in others in all those ways, by winning, by building, and by equipping. We've been thinking about winning and drawing people to Christ, and, and last week you, you heard a, a presentation about bless and how we can bless people. It means beginning with prayer, listening to them, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, getting to know them, serving them, and giving them a chance to serve you, and then at the end, sharing with them, and sharing them the, with the good news. That's a way that we can seek to draw people to Christ. And then you were challenged to think about who are your five, right? Who are the people who you can bless? I'm going to give a name to the people you can bless this morning. And the name for the people you can bless is Frank. If you can remember that, you can bless Frank. Um, Frank is uh, F-R-A-N-C, not K, C, Frank. And it stands for this. It stands for friends. Think about the friends that you can share with. People want to know what's going on in your life, and you should be sharing with them about what Jesus is doing in your life, about how he is impacting the way that you live and what you're learning about following him. So share with them. Share with friends, share with relatives. How many of us have relatives of ours who we are praying to see come to Christ? 
Maybe children, maybe parents, brothers, sisters, people we would love to see come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And share with our relatives, acquaintances, people that you kind of, sort of know, you bump into on a regular basis, but you don't know them that well. Maybe it's somebody you see at the gym, somebody who walks their dog past your house, maybe it's a person who makes your coffee in the morning. These are people you could get to know in order to have a chance to share with them. That's the A. And as neighbors. How well do we know our neighbors? This is something we often don't do very well in the world today. We kind of come home, pull in our garage, and cocoon in our house. And do we really know those around us? Think about right, making, a, making a map. Put your house in the middle. Put the neighbors who are around you on every side. Do you know their names? Do you know their stories? Do you know what's going on in their life? Have you gotten to know them so that you could have a chance to share with them? And the last one is coworkers, the people that we work with on a daily basis. How could we share with them? So that's my encouragement. As you're going, we want to draw people. We're going to invest in them by blessing them. We're going to bless Frank. Uh, we want to think about who are those people who we can bless in that way and invest in by sharing the good news. For me, that investment began with a group of people from Hillside, Nazar Hillside Church of the Nazarene in Spearfish, South Dakota. In August of 1975, Hillside Church of the Nazarene in Spearfish had an evangelistic team come and do a presentation for a week in the city park in Spearfish, South Dakota. I had just moved there, and on one of those nights, I was in the city park at the picnic table having supper with my family. I heard the speaker that night, and that night, as a six-year-old, I remember understanding for the first time that I needed to make a personal decision to trust Christ as my Savior. It was not a decision anybody else could make for me. It was a choice I had to make. I needed to ask him to forgive my sin. And on that night at six years old, I went forward and I prayed to receive Christ. And the people of Hillside Church of the Nazarene invested in me in that night without even knowing who I was in that moment. And yet they still took the time and did that and that made such a huge impact in my life. Even as a six-year-old, as my parents' marriage was a difficult one and they would go on to have, get divorced, that I had that faith in my life with such a comfort and such a strength in that moment. Somebody took the time to invest in me by telling me about Jesus. So we invest as we win, we invest as we build. When we think about building uh, people up in Christ and having them grow in Christ, I like to think about it in, in three categories. We think about the head, the heart, and the hands. We think about the things we need to know. We think about the, the, the desires, the passions that we need to have. And we think about the skills that we need to serve other people. And so we can invest in others in, by building them up in head and heart and hands. We think about head growth. That's the certain knowledge that we need to have. It's the things we need to know from God's word about how to live and how to follow him and what it means to live like Jesus and then the wisdom to apply those things. For me, that is my, I think about it again, is my story. One of the people that comes to my mind is my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, Hootie Smock. Uh, and I have, I still have with me, this is, this is the Bible I got from my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. It's one of those lovely, some of you remember these, these living Bibles with the puffy covers? It's one of those. And I got this from my fourth grade Sunday school teacher for memorizing the 66 books of the Bible and being able to recite them. And in it, she writes, she wrote this dedication, she says, take care in your life, be patient, and I hope you use this book every day. She took time to teach a bunch of fourth graders about Jesus and made the investment in my life. One of the people, and I'm here partly because of her and the investment that she made. And I still remember that investment that she made in me. That's a great way to invest in others. The children's ministry is here, being those who can teach them and to be a part of training up that next generation. It's also about identifying with Christ, that building up, that investing in others happens as we uh, talk about heart growth. 
And there are two components that I think about with that. One is, one is in worship, and by the way, shout out for singing A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Way to go. As a pastor, I always insisted on Reformation Sunday we sing that song. Um, so great shout out for that one. But we think about worship. For me, that moment in worship, again, as, as a child, I, the church that I was in growing up, I got to be an acolyte in the church. Uh, we don't have acolytes in a lot of our churches, especially free churches. Uh, some of you maybe grew up in, in other denominations and other kinds of churches, a little more high worship, and you got to have an acolyte. An acolyte is, is the one that, they had this little stick with a wick on it, and we'd light it, and I'd come up at the beginning of the church service, and I'd light the candles, and then at the end, I'd come up again and snuff the candles out, and then light the wick, and then walk back out. It was symbolic of bringing the light of Christ into the worship service, and at the end, how he would take the light of Christ back out into the world. And I got asked, I think it was probably third grade, fourth grade again in that time frame, I got asked to be the acolyte for the Christmas Eve service. And I got to come up the end and snuff those lights out and stand next to the pastor as the whole sanctuary was dark and everybody was singing Silent Night and they all had their candles that they'd all lit before the fire marshals told us we couldn't do that. Um, and we had the candles lit everywhere. And I was so struck by the awe of that moment. And that, that was one of the first times I really began to think about, that sticks in my mind, is just the awe of what it is to worship God and the wonderful things that he has done. And when I think about that, I, I, I hope that you approach worship and think about it and understand worship is a participatory thing. What was awe-inspiring for that moment is I was in the middle of it. I was part of what was happening. It's a participatory thing. It's not a spectator thing. And I encourage you to think about worship in that way. Give opportunities for everyone to be participatory to worship. And then I think about fellowship. I'm going to fast forward uh, a number of years, and the, the, the fellowship moment that sticks in my mind, how people invested in me through fellowship, was through the small group ministry at the church I attended when my wife and I were newlyweds. We had just gotten married, and we moved to Denver. I was going to be going to seminary there, and started attending this church and signed up for their small group ministry and went to the first small group meeting. And, and there was this group of couples there in the room and we went around the room and introduced ourselves. And one of the things they all did was say, how, many, how long have they been married? And we went around the room, 13 years, 14 years, 17 years, 21 years, 19 years, three weeks. That was me. And how wonderful it was to have that group of couples invest in my wife and I as a young couple learning what it means to live for Christ as a couple, as a husband and wife, and to follow him, and the way they poured into us and invested in us through those two years. We invest in each other. We invest in others in fellowship, being a part of a small group and connecting in that way. We invest in others in worship and being participatory in that worship. And then we talk about hand growth, learning the, the, the practical things you need to do to do ministry and, and getting into that nitty-gritty. Again, if I, I go back and I think about um, my early life and, and the impact of that, in 1984, I went with our church youth group to the National Christian Youth Congress in Estes Park, Colorado. And it was at that conference that I made the decision that I wanted to go ahead and I was going to pursue um, full-time Christian ministry as my career. I wanted to go and be a pastor. It was really that, at that moment that I made that decision. So, so Lucas, shout out to you and to all of the people who go and take people on these trips, on these conferences, and the value of taking students to conferences. It was people who invested in me to take me there. Some, uh, we had youth leaders, youth group sponsors who took a week off, who invested in their time to take me to that conference, to be our leaders there, to sit and do the Bible studies with us, to do the study groups with us. And it was in that moment that I chose to go and invest my, uh, to become, uh, go into full-time Christian ministry. And then I came back, and I said, uh, James E. Wright was my stepdad. He was a pastor. 
And he came back and I told him what I wanted to do. And he gave me all kinds of opportunity to do the practical stuff, right? He got me, as a high school student, I was serving on committees in the church. I went to church board meetings. Yeah, a high school student, that was loads of fun, right? But I got to go to church board meetings, starting to get trained for this. I was in the choir. I got to preach. And not just at the nursing home where people would mostly forget everything that I ever said. He let me preach as a senior in high school. He gave me Easter Sunday to preach. I look back on that, he was nuts. Who gives a senior in high school Easter Sunday in his church? But he did, investing in me for what God had called me to do. Those, those practical skills. And then we move to teaching, and that's the equipping part of this. That's the equipping and the, and the building up, the, the, the teaching and the equipping for the ministry that we are called to do. And that continued in my life as I went on for schooling at, at Moody, uh, at the Moody Bible Institute, at Denver Seminary, later my doctorate at Bethel Seminary. I think about the professors that impacted my life, Mr. Cooper, who taught me preaching, Dr. Quiggle, who taught me theology and philosophy and apologetics, um, Dr. Clark, who taught me about life balance, uh, Dr. Irving, who gave me new ideas and, and new vision on how to do outreach and evangelism, um, Dr. Lawrence, who taught me about leadership and how to train leaders in the church. And then the other, the pastors and the other ministry leaders that invested in me during that same time. Uh, George Walker, some of you will remember him. He was the first district superintendent of the Northern Plains District. And he was the one who I went to and met with and he took the time with me to learn about me and learn about my wife and to invest in me by helping me find a place to serve in the Northern Plains District. Led me to a little church out in Mont, North Dakota where I served for 12 years at the Mont Evangelical Community Church. They took in a 26 year old and invited them to come and be, invited him to come and be their pastor. I was greener than grass and had no idea. But they were so patient and I learned so much from the time with them as I got to preach and teach and lead and guide and direct that church. And then my time at, at Cornerstone and the church there and the other pastors and the other leaders, and the other DSs now that continue to invest in me to continue to help me be what I need to be to do what God has called me to do. They continue to help make, it, make me a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. They're continuing to invest in me in that way. So what skills do we need? Well, how do we invest? What kind of skills do I need to develop? Well, two things primarily that I would point to. Uh, one is the idea of sharing. One of the things you, to invest in the skill you need to invest in others is how to share the gospel with someone. That's a basic skill. We already talked about the blessing, how you do that. But that's a skill you need to have. First Peter says, 3.15 says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, how to share the gospel with someone with gentleness and respect. That's something we all need training in. And the other thing we need training in is how to care for each other. How do we care for each other within the body of Christ? The passage I wanna look at there is 1 Thessalonians 5.14, but there's two verses before that, 12 and 13, that I have to touch on here this morning for just a minute. This really is a little bit of an, uh, a side trail to this, but let me share this with you. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. This is uh, the last Sunday of Pastor Appreciation Month, and I'm the DS, and I'm here talking, and if I didn't point out that this ver these verses were right ahead of what I was gonna talk about, I would be derelict in my job. 
what we, is call, we are called to in our churches is to esteem highly in love those whom God has called to shepherd and to guide and to lead us. And I hope that you, Bethel Church, do this for those whom God has called to be your leaders, that you esteem them very highly in love and that they feel that from you. I get it, it's a church, we're a free church, we're very serious about the free part. There are always gonna be things that someone may say or something may, may happen that you're not gonna like, but this command prevails for those who are called to be shepherds that you would esteem them highly in love and I hope that you do that. The next part of that passage then turns to how we treat everybody else in the church and it says this, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. We invest in others because we all need people, we all need to be the people who can sometimes come alongside and say, hey man, you need to get going, come on, let's go in gear. We come idle, we need somebody to get us going again. And we can do that. Sometimes there are people are faint-hearted. Life has become so hard and so overwhelming. They need someone to come alongside of them and walk with them and encourage them and help to strengthen them. And we can do that for the faint-hearted and help the weak. I tease when I preach on that one. This is the Greek there. To help means to help. It means sometimes the load is too much. We need to come alongside and say, hey, let me help you carry that. No, it's too much for you. Tell you what, I'll carry it. Let me take that off of you for now. Let me carry that for you. We share with that with you, so we invest in each other in that way. As we admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak, being patient with all of them because we know that God is not finished yet. The call to make disciples is binding on all of Jesus' followers to make others what we are, disciples of Christ. I led with thinking about who was the one who invested in you, and I'm gonna close with the question, who are you investing in? Who are you doing this for? Who's the next one that you are now helping to make a disciple of? Maybe it's children, maybe it's others in your small group, maybe it's uh, a teaching in a group, whatever it is, you need to have others around you who now you can invest in because a discipled person invests in others by making disciples. We are all called to be disciples who make disciples. Bethel's vision is to be a grace-filled community known for making disciples who love God passionately, love others intentionally, and serve the world sacrificially. A place where discipled people invest in others. Supported by people who are giving generously to God's word. That's another step in that process of investment that you're gonna hear more about next week. But I want you to close with thinking about that question. If we are called to invest in others, if we are called to make disciples of others, who are you doing it for? Somebody did the took the time to do it for you. Who are you going to do it for? Who are you investing in? Because the call to make disciples, the call to all of us is binding on us to make disciples. That is what we are commissioned to do. So who will you be doing it for? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all of those who went before us, all of those who took time to invest in us, all of those who made the disciples we are and who are making us the disciples we are. We are all still growing. Father, help us to have eyes to see those around us with whom we can invest, whom we can give that to, whom we can make disciples of. And so fulfill the commission that you have given to all your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.